Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. The next 10 minutes are inspired by a really bad book and a geometry teacher. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the engine. I have a really, really embarrassing admission. Uh, I read every single Fifty Shades of Grey book. (laughs) That includes Fifty Shades, Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades Lighter or Freed or something. And then I even read the fourth one, Grey, that was all about his childhood. They're terrible, just horrible, trashy books. But I did, I did read them. Um. One of the things that I found interesting, though, nothing that you'd expect, there was a description of Gray, the super wealthy dude who, you know, grew up poor as could be, playing in his little apartment, you know, I mean, I think around the time his mom passed away. It was a really dark scene. But he had, he had something like two or three little cars and little like matchbox cars and these were his only toys and he would play with them and he loved them and when one went missing like you'd freak out obviously and when I read that it actually kind of struck me because I thought about the value of those cars for him versus the value of the matchbox cars my boys my boys have now again they have like bins they probably have you know 200 matchbox cars and they're little you know those little die cast metal cars and they're awesome. Everybody grows up with these. You can buy them packs of like six or 12. You can get really fancy one with wheels that glow in the dark and stuff. I have a, one of my, my middle son actually has a couple packs of them, six packs of them, by the way. He got them for his birthday and he doesn't even want to play with them. They stay in the container. He takes them out and he'll play with them in his room and he'll turn off, uh, turn on his light, charge up the wheels because the wheels glow in dark, turn them off and he'll play with them on very select occasions. Then he'll put them back in the box and store them away. But like, he doesn't play with them frequently. If they disappeared, it could be a month or two before he realized that he had lost them. And and that really made me think about the value of things that, that we have, that we kind of put on things, uh, like a matchbox car. How valuable is that matchbox car? What, what value do we ascribe to it if we have a lot of them or very few of them? And it's it's very easy to recognize that... The value of the thing, if you only have two or three matchbox cars and that's your entire set of toys, the value of each of those cars is almost infinitely greater than the value of cars if you had like 300 of them. Now, you might, if somebody takes away, you know, your favorite car, you might be upset about it. But, you know, like if you go from 300 cars to 297 cars, you won't even notice most likely, right? If you go from three cars to zero cars, you notice immediately, and it's, it's it would obviously be a traumatic thing. I started thinking about this in relationship to, to a geometry teacher that I had my freshman year in high school. Now, I did not care for this teacher, and she did not, frankly, care for me, and I earned that. <laughs> I'm not saying I was a great 14-year-old. I was very high energy and I was very outspoken. And unfortunately, I was very good at math too. So I could not do the work. I could not really pay attention and still get the right answers. 
there was a time actually when she assigned a proof that she said, look, you could do this one proof or you could do this hour-long homework assignment. And I spent three hours doing the proof. I was the only one in the class who was able to do it. It was 15 steps and she was just, she was very displeased with that. She accused me of cheating. She accused me of all these other things. And I was like, look, I don't know what to tell you. But she and I came to a point where we were arguing about something and even at 14 or 15, I could, you know, talk and talk and talk. Obviously, this is probably not a surprise if you've, if you've heard any of these podcasts. But I could talk through issues. I could identify um, inconsistencies with reasoning and principles. I could identify kind of like loopholes in the logic. I could do, I could do a lot of different things. And looking back on it, it was really my jam as a younger person to get an authority figure talking because I knew if we could get talking, then I could obviously lessen the blow or, or kind of steer the conversation or, or whatever. And I'm not saying I was manipulative necessarily. I just was very good at identifying like, okay, well, this doesn't make sense because of this. And they're like, well, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because of that. And, you know, again, as younger people do very frequently, you kind of wear down adults. My geometry teacher came to a point, I think it was like, right after Christmas break, when the number of words she would use to communicate with me dropped off drastically. It went from discussing, reasoning, to just, no. Like, well, that doesn't make sense. No. And and I've been thinking about that a lot because very much like the max matchbox cars, the fewer words we use, the more weight and power those words, those words have. We see characters like this portrayed in cinema. If you've ever seen the movie Planes, right, um, the, the second Planes movie, Fire and Rescue, there's this, uh, there's this rescue helicopter that's that's portrayed kind of as a Native American, and he doesn't speak very much, but when he does speak, everybody stops and listens. Because the value of each of his words is, is amplified by the lack of them. And I started thinking about how we all communicate, how so many times people don't really understand the value of their words. So they just throw them out there. They throw them out there just just talking. It could be on social media. It could be in person. People just talk, 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 talk. And it's kind of it's kind of striking to me because I've realized the people that talk the most value their words the most. And they value other people's words the least. <laughs> if you're somebody who just talks, 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 you're not really interested in valuing. You're not interested in distilling down the words that you use, the things you convey, the things you utter into the world from your head. You bring them into existence. You don't care about each of them individually because you're firing them off left and right. And if you're doing that, you care so little about other people's words because you're not listening to other people, right? You're, you're just talking yourself. It's a very odd thing. And what's worse is to other people, when they're hearing you talk, if they know you're somebody who doesn't listen and they know you're somebody who just talks and talks and talks, the inverse happens for them. They care less about your words. 
even though you're obviously caring more about your words. It's a very interesting dynamic to fall into. Doing podcast interviews, one of the number one things that that I knew right out of the blocks is you have to listen. You have to listen. I don't have a problem listening in my real life either. So this wasn't a major stretch. It's not like I'm, you know, just uh, cringing listening to other people talk. But it's very, very clear that as you listen and give people, give people space to communicate, even people that don't normally, you know, hold the center of a conversation, they will start talking more. They will feel you valuing their words and they will communicate more. And if you talk less, when you do talk, people listen more. People listen more. People will value your words more. There's so much communication going on. There's so many words being thrown around right now. Could be about anything. Could be about schools. Could be about the pandemic. Could be about, you know, teachers or neighbors or, or, or communities. Could be anything. But people have never had an opportunity to talk so much. But again, the flip side is I think people have lost sight of the value system in communication. Are you really taking the words you're putting out into the world seriously? Are you valuing them appropriately? Are you overvaluing them? Are you undervaluing them? How are other people valuing them? And I think if we take a step back and we really try to start looking at, okay, look, how is the world experiencing my speech? And how am I experiencing the speech of the world? we may be able to bring a little bit more clarity by distilling down meaning and value and understanding. But it all starts with taking a step back and really contemplating, do I talk too much? Do I talk too little? Do I value my words over other people's words? It's not a bad thing to think you're right. Right? It's not a bad thing to, to value your words first and foremost. That's fine. We all are entitled to think you know, we have a leg up. But we should also understand how other people value our words if we really want to get our points across. It's a weird idea. It's a weird idea for sure. But I think if we can do it, I think we'll ultimately have better communication in all aspects of our lives. I'm Matt Todd, and this is the engine that drives me. Go out and crush it.